Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. Today we're talking about Maranatha, the problem part two. Miller expands on the conflict at hand, that there's been a war in heaven that began in Genesis, that God has won through the seed that is his son. We hope you enjoy this podcast. We love you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Genesis 3. Um, I, <clears throat> I'm going to just pick up where we started the year. Uh, and just to give you, give you my heart as your pastor where, where I'm at, I, this year, have said no to um, 20, 30 events, speaking events, traveling. Um, I, I really felt starting out at the beginning of the year that the Lord, the Lord told me um, that it, I needed to stay home. And I needed to stay home specifically uh, for Sunday night. And I, I, I am deeply convicted about a foundation that you need so that you can stand in the days ahead. I'm, I'm, grateful, for, I'm grateful for all that God is doing. Uh, I'm grateful. Um, deeply convicted about getting you rooted and established for what's ahead. Uh, I, I love the statistics and like the movements that are hitting and the gatherings that are happening. Uh, but, but this thing lived out Monday through Friday. L- local communities living in proximity to the presence of Jesus. Houses like this one rooted in the word. Rooted in community living near the altar together. I, I think it's the hope. I, I love, I've been talking to uh, Michael and Andy some just about the emerging hero in the nation, I believe is the local church. Uh, the, the, the local church that is uh, missional, the local church that is uh, presence-centered, uh, the local church that is stewarding a hunger and a thirst for encounter and establishing places like this uh, and a people like this. I, I, really, I really am convicted about what God's building in our midst. And so I, I want I to um, <clears throat> go after just once again this word that he's placed before us, Maranatha. Uh, we hosted a conference and called it, called it Maranatha, and we sung Maranatha a lot, and we shout Maranatha, and we, we've preached it a couple of times, Maranatha, but every time I leave, I leave with a, a sense of discontent because I feel like there's a depth to this word that we haven't fully grasped yet. And a part of me staying this year with you on the weekends is us really attempting to put our arms around this word because I, I really believe it's what the Lord is speaking to us, Maranatha. And uh, you've heard me say it once, you're going to hear me say it a hundred times, uh, that Maranatha is an Aramaic word. It's used at the end of 1 Corinthians. And Paul, <laughs> my voice just cracked. <laughs> I'm 45, my voice is still cracking. Uh, Paul... Paul, in several of his letters, it was a, a real, uh, it was a signature of Paul to do this, but he would take a pen and he would begin writing with his own hand. And he'd say, I, Paul, am writing to you. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, he, 
he, he's, he's addressing persecution. He's addressing what the church is going through. But, but he said, anyone that, that, that does not love the Lord is to be accursed. But then he uses the word Maranatha. And the entire New Testament's written in, in ancient Greek. But Maranatha is not a Greek word. Maranatha is an Aramaic word. It's the only time an Aramaic word is used in scriptures. And so it would be like, it would be like Andy writing us from Kona. And he's writing us a letter about the send, right? And he's writing in English and I'm reading it to us. And I'm like, there's going to be this gathering. And, 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 and I'm, 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 everything I'm saying, you're up to speed and can understand. And then all of a sudden we throw in this Farsi word, which most of you don't even know like where Farsi is spoken, much less Farsi itself. All right. It would be like so out of left field that Andy would throw in a, a, a Farsi word or a Russian word or a word that is not intelligible here. And so a lot of scholars have wrestled with why Paul threw in this Aramaic word that he just write it out in Greek because he could have. And as you look at it, 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 is, it is assumed that the church in Corinth would have known what Paul was speaking about, that they would have been familiar with the word. And, and they believe it was, a, it was, it was kind of a, a password or a, a code word for the first century church, that it's a word that they use because the church at that time was persecuted by both the Jews and the Romans, and neither of them spoke Aramaic. So it had been a word that they could have used even out in public that people would have been like, what? In fact, the gospel is birthed in a Jewish culture, and if you were to give a greeting back in the day, they still do it today, it would be shalom. <laughs> it would be shalom in the Jewish context, but they think that they probably exchanged it for this Aramaic word, Maranatha. So Maranatha, depending on how it's spelled traditionally, it's come Lord Jesus. But here's what's fascinating about it. It's depending on how it's structured, just the end phrase, it could mean one of three things. It could mean one of three things. And I want to just believe that it means all three. It could have a past tense meaning, a future tense or present tense. So it could mean come Lord Jesus, but it could also mean Jesus. And it could also mean come Jesus. So it could be he came, he's coming, so come. Maranatha. Maranatha. He came, he's coming, so come. And I, I, I want to emphasize uh, the coming of the Lord through this year. I want to talk about what's ahead. But in order to understand what's ahead, we have to see what's behind. Because what's behind informs us to what's ahead. Oftentimes when we talk about the end times, we hop like to the book of Revelation. But the end times is actually found in the book of Genesis. It's in the creation account. And, and it's threaded throughout scripture and there's a plan in place. Uh, this is God's redemptive plan. And the backbone, the backbone to this book, the backbone to this book are covenants that God makes with his people. And you know, there's anywhere from five to eight that you could point to. 
we're going to look at those covenants over the course of the next couple of weeks. I want you to be very familiar with the covenants God made with people throughout history. Because God's in covenant with you tonight. If you're born again, you're in covenant with God. But the previous covenants inform us of the covenant that we're in with him. And every covenant that God makes, it's, 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 there's one of two covenants. Every one of them fits into one of two categories. Um, and, and just briefly, this is review from a couple of weeks ago. The first is a covenant of works. Remember that? Covenant of works. Uh, we're going to look at the first covenant of works, which is the Edemic covenant. Uh, creation, the created order. God was in covenant with Adam. But the covenant was one ask. It was, I'll give you everything, cultivate, be in relationship with me. Here's the garden, but don't do this one thing. What was it? Don't eat from the tree. It was one stipulation. Stay away from the tree. So that's the covenant of works. You do your part, I'll do mine. Now we know that didn't work out well. Even the Mosaic covenant, he gives them 10, 10 turns into a bunch. And it was basically covenant of works is God saying, if you do your part, I'll do mine. But then Jesus comes along and initiates a new covenant. And it's a covenant of grace. A covenant of grace is that God does all the work. God sent his son to do the work that we could not. And so covenant of works is we trust our work to God. Covenant of grace is we trust his work to us. That sounds a lot better, doesn't it? But both covenants are centered around a covenant that existed before anything else hit. So you got covenant of works, covenant of grace, take out your phone, take notes. I really wanna see you taking notes, young millennials. I want you to get this, it's really foundational. For you to relate to God, you've gotta understand the framework that you relate to him through. There's framework for your relationship with Jesus. It's more than how you feel tonight. It's more than what you did this weekend. There's covenants, there's frameworks for you to boldly and confidently be in relationship with God. But they, they are centered, all covenants that God makes is centered upon one covenant. Theologically, it's called the covenant of redemption. Everyone say the covenant of redemption. Now, this isn't a covenant that God made with a man. This is a covenant that God made with himself. This is good news. Before anything existed, there's scriptures that talk about uh, before the foundation of the world, he chose you to be holy and blameless. Before the foundation of the world, the lamb who was slain. Talks about a hidden wisdom before the ages existed has been revealed through the man Christ Jesus. It's all speaking about an agreement that God made with God. And the agreement is that they would redeem or restore or regain whatever would be lost. And the image that I have, let's just, let, this is the plan of redemption, amen? We're, we're gonna study it from Genesis to Revelation. I'm gonna take my time. I'm gonna repeat myself a lot. I'm gonna have you take notes. I'm gonna try to make it as simple as possible. But it, is, it starts in Genesis 1-1 and it ends in Revelation 22. It's the plan of redemption, right? So this is the plan. I'm gonna lay the plan out before you. And around the plan is God. And God the Father initiated with God the Son, and God the Son initiated with God the Spirit. And the three of them were in perfect harmony, perfect unity with one another. The Father initiated and he said, I will initiate by sending my Son. 
I will initiate by agreeing to send my spirit. The son agreed to go. I'll go to earth. I'll become an embryo. I'll represent you to mankind. I'll fulfill the law. I will live righteously in relationship with you in relationship to the world. I will be the mediator. I will be their great high priest. I will be their Lord and savior. I will be the lamb of God, holy and spotless. And the spirit, so the father initiates, the son executes, the spirit agrees to apply all that the son will, would, would empower the son's ministry, but also apply the benefits of the son's work to a people that are you and me. Are you with me? This is the holy huddle of heaven. It was from this place in this holy huddle that God took a deep breath and said, let there be it was from covenant that God created. It was a covenant that God had made with God. And it is the foundation to all that exists. It's why I have utter confidence tonight in God's plan for you, not because of your will, but because of his. <laughs> oh, man. He's already determined his will and his will is to redeem. It's what Andy was talking about. He's initiating, but he's initiating because the Godhead that existed before anything initiated us with a plan and it was a plan of redemption. From Genesis one to Revelation 22 and every covenant is unfolding that plan of redemption. And right now there's a lot of talk about salvation and the finished work of the cross. And I think we need to boast in the finished works of the cross. Like, I think we need to boast in what he has accomplished for us. We need to boast in what he completed and finished on Calvary. It is so important. But the work of salvation is finished. But the more I sit in the work of salvation, the more I realize the plan of redemption is not. The work of salvation is unto the plan of redemption. What do I mean by that? I mean, sin still exists on the earth tonight. Sin is still near us. There is still a problem that we actually are empowered to co-labor with the Lord to be ambassadors of this covenant of redemption that we now have with him, but we get to invite the world into it because through the Son, the Father's reconciling the world. But tonight, so we, we, we talked about this two weeks ago. We talked about the, the, the plan of redemption. We looked at Romans 8, the groanings, Hope, hope that is seen is not hope at all. There's a hope that's coming. It's the blessed hope. It's the return of the Lord in the midst of what is. We looked at what was to see what will be. You with me? So all this is review. So tonight, I want to talk about the problem. So we looked at the plan tonight with the Maranatha cry. I want to look at the problem, and I want to hone in on one specific verse. One specific verse. And it's in the created account of creation account. So go to Genesis chapter 3. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Come with it. All right. Uh, 
so from covenant, God creates. And he created and was in covenant with Adam. The covenant was uh, don't eat from the garden or don't eat from the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and chapter three, verse one, is really important because it says now the serpent, talking about redemption, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed has God, the, the serpent says to the woman, indeed has God not said, uh, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden. Now, this is a context, like a story and narrative we're very familiar with, but do you ever like wonder why there was a serpent in the garden that was talking to Eve? Like just from face value, it's like, okay, why is there a serpent and why is the serpent talking? Where did the serpent come from? Why is the serpent attempting to deceive Eve right out of the gates? Like, here's this character. We've got the creative account. We've got the one thing. And then all of a sudden, stage left, cue the serpent. <laughs> it's like, where did he come from? Why is there a talking serpent, A, and why is the talking serpent attempting to deceive the woman? Where did that come from? And... And we've got to answer that because that, that tonight is the problem. Because a part of creation, when God started creating, he created in a conflict. There was a conflict that existed. And I want to talk about the conflict. Well, the conflict, it was right after creation because Satan himself, as we read here, was a created being. And so I want to talk about I want to talk about the, the, the serpent. I want to talk about the conflict that we've been born into because God is, God is at war tonight. It, it, it's, it's a strange thought to think God is at war because he's undefeated in every battle that he's faced, right? But, but God is at war tonight and, and there's no neutral ground. There's no life that's, that's like, that's not impacted by the battle that's at hand. And that battle begins in Genesis, or it's revealed in Genesis chapter three, but it began before it. And so I just wanna talk about, uh, I wanna talk about Satan. I wanna talk about the devil. I wanna talk about um, God's adversary. And if you are a son of God, you have an adversary tonight. You have an enemy. You have one that hates you. He hates the image that you bear. He hates you and he hates your family. but it's very true but it's very true so <clears throat> that, that war is described key flow with me art you got me art uh, Revelation 12 verse 7 uh, it gives us the depiction of what happened before Genesis chapter 3 it says there was a war in heaven this is the war that I'm speaking about everyone say there's a war and it was Michael Michael's a mad, bad man pajama up top. So Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. So here's the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, these, these, uh, the dragon and his angels. And it's one-third, uh, one it says the, the tail swept a third of them. So it talks about the dragon and his angels. It's a third of the angels. They were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old. Does everyone read that? The serpent of old. How does Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 begin? The serpent. 
came to Eve, but this is the serpent of old. So this character that was there in Genesis chapter 3 is here in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 20 verse 2 talks about him again, and it's his defeat, which is amazing. But I want you to see that this is the serpent of old, the one, uh, the devil, the Satan, the one who deceives the world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So fallen angels are demons. Demons are real. Satan is real. And so in the creation account, where are they? Because the serpent just shows up slithering and talking. Well, most, some, there's, I don't want to get too into the nuances of this, but Genesis chapter one is where, Genesis 1-1 is where I see uh, they were created. Because Genesis 1-1, look at this. Are you taking notes? Take notes. Genesis 1-1. It says, in the beginning, God created. What did he create? The heavens and the earth. So I believe it's in this verse that God created angels. Angels are created beings. And one of those angels was Lucifer, was Satan. Uh, I believe between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, a lot happened. (laughs) Because in Genesis 1-2, look at this. It says, the spirit of God, or the earth, sorry, go to 1-2. The earth was formless and void. Formless and void. That, 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 uh, that word for formless and void, one of, one of the, those words, I think it's void, could be translated chaotic. <clears throat> and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters. So I believe God begins to create upon the fallen created. That's why Satan was on the earth. Isaiah chapter 14 gives us insight to what happened between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Um, Isaiah 14, verse 12, check this out. This is, uh, yeah, how you have fallen from heaven. Similar language to Revelation chapter 12. O star of the morning, son of the dawn. Uh, in the, the Latin, star of the morning is actually Lucifer. That's what that means. This is his name. O star of the morning, son of dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nation. Verse 13. But you said in your heart. Now, this, this, is, this is prophetic literature. So he's speaking to an actual king at the time. But it is also metaf- uh, uh, a metaphor and uh, gives us revelation to what happened between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. These are the five I wills of Satan. So there were five agreements Satan made in himself. Look at this. It says, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Verse 15. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. <clears throat> so there's five I wills. Um, my friend who taught on this uh, made a graph years ago um, that I've always thought depicted the pride that Satan had before the fall. Proverbs 16, 18 says, uh, pride comes before the fall. And he made an acronym based on Satan desiring a position, Satan desiring rule, Satan desiring to be idolized, Satan desiring God's beauty, 
his brilliance, even though Satan himself, it says he was perfected in beauty in Ezekiel, and then equality with God. And it was from this that Jesus says in Luke 10, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning. God cast him out. Check this out. Satan, Satan is called uh, the adversary, the day star, which is Lucifer. The name, it's one of the names of Christ. The devil means the slander, the accuser, the enemy, the murderer. John 8, 44, he's the father of lies. He's the tempter. <clears throat> and so the serpent that comes on the scene in Genesis chapter three, this is him. This is God's adversary. And he comes to deceive. He comes to do what is within his nature. He begins to lie and lie about the character of God. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Verse 1, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in that day, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That's one of the I wills. Here's the thing about the five I wills is that he attempts to impose those upon you. This is knowing his schemes. He attempts to impose those upon you. You will be like God. One of Satan's desires was to be like God, to ascend where he was. Knowing good from evil. So... She saw that the, the tree was good. The, it was delightful in her eyes. She took it. She ate it. They both realized they were naked. They hid from God. And so from, from, from this, um, man sins. And so you have the fall of Satan, which we talked about. And now we have the fall of man. Because God, uh, man broke covenant with God. Now, here's something really important to understand. Is that um, sin did not come through Satan. Temptation did. Sin came through man. Man chose to eat from the tree, influenced by a serpent. But it was, it was the decision of man. It was in the, the, the heart of man that he chose. And he became deceitfully wicked, spiritually dead. That ensued. So uh, man fell as Satan had fallen. They both fell from being in right relationship with the Lord. Now, now, here's the beautiful, beautiful picture. I want to point us back to where we began, and it's that holy huddle. Is that God had a plan. God was not, not moved. And so God, God does three things. He curses man, curses the woman, curses uh, Adam, or curses the serpent. And so I, I, want to, I want to hone in on one verse here in the, the part where... The Lord curses the serpent because we'll see the Maranatha cry in this. It's so beautiful. The Lord said to the serpent, because, of, because you've done this, curse to you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. <clears throat> and I will put enmity between you and the woman 
between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. I think Genesis chapter three, verse 15, this verse that you're looking at is the linchpin of the Old Testament. This is the narrative that plays out from here forward. It's, it's the process of these two seeds moving from generation to generation to generation. It's the process of the plan of redemption being passed on from one generation to another generation to another generation. From generation to generation to generation, you see the unfolding plan of redemption that God has for mankind. And as we talk about the work of salvation under the fulfillment of the plan of redemption, we have to see the covenants that God has made from this promise that these two seeds will come forth between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. I think this is prophesying of the cross. This is prophesying of what would happen on the cross. It's also prophesying, I believe, of what would ha- what's going to happen to the Antichrist when Jesus returns. Um, there is a catastrophic blow that the seed from the woman is going to bring to God's adversary and to that kingdom. This is good news. Why? Because God is prophesying in this verse that in the end, he wins. In the end, we as his people and his family, we win. It's true tonight and it will be true in that day. It's why we can confidently proclaim the gospel with hope is that there's a plan of redemption at play tonight, no matter how dark things are, no matter how grim they get, no matter how bad a decision you make, God has already determined that his will is to redeem you and to destroy the works of his enemy. two seeds we're doing a Bible program right now called uh, the shred which I would encourage no one to do this Bible program Uh, it was my idea and I threw it out to a couple of guys and they're pretty bright eyed and they're like yeah let's do it man beginning of the year the shred the shred is you read the Bible in 30 days from Genesis to Revelation. So we are just like, I mean, we're just pounding scripture. It's, it's actually been, it's been really good, but it's been such a challenge. And um, we just made it to the New Testament. We're like 20 days in. And so we've like arrived into the New Testament and, um, and I'm listening to, there's a great app. It's called the, the Dwell app. And uh, if you don't have it, you should get it. And Felix is a South African that reads and me and Felix are boys, man. <laughs> Felix is awesome. So he has this really great accent. It it keeps me engaged. He's reading and reading and reading. Well, we got to Matthew chapter one. And Matthew chapter one is the the genealogy of Jesus. And if you flip over there to Matthew chapter one, I I was like ready to fast forward and skip this verse. Just it's a bunch of names. It's like, Lord, I'm not gonna get anything from this. 
And I'm in the New Testament. I just want to get to like the story of Jesus. And as we're in Matthew 1.1, I felt the Holy Spirit come over my heart. Like little Felix's voice just like <laughs> took a different tone. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm listening. And, uh, and, and it says the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then verse 2, it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. And so I listened to the entire genealogy with my ears peeled. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Well, nothing really stuck out other than listen to the genealogy, pay attention to the genealogy. I'm like, all right, I got it. He's the son of Abraham. Starts with Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Well, fast forward to the next day because we made it all the way through Matthew, halfway through Mark. So the next day we started middle of Mark and we're gonna blow through Luke. So flip over to Luke. And here I am in Luke and guess what there is? Another genealogy. (laughs) And so here we're rolling into this genealogy and I'm like, Lord, you had me pay attention to the genealogy of Matthew. Felt like he said, pay attention to the genealogy in Luke. And so I started paying attention to the differences of the genealogy that Matthew described versus Luke. And there was something that leapt off immediately. Verse 23 of Luke chapter 3. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph the son of Eli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melika, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph. So all of a sudden I started realizing Matthew's account started with Abraham and moved forward. But Jesus, Luke's account starts with Jesus and moves backwards. Matthew's account was Abraham was the father of moving ahead. Luke's account Jesus was the son of. Now, but before I show you where that's going, because it's really important to the seeds that we talked about, I want you to see where Luke fits the genealogy in. Because Matthew starts out with the genealogy, but Luke, we're three chapters in. And so he knew he was going to put the genealogy in the book, but I think it's very strategic where he put it in, in light of the plan of redemption and in light of Genesis chapter three. Look at this. In Luke chapter three, verse 21, it's Jesus's baptism. And look what happens. Jesus is baptized by John. And after he's baptized, look who shows up, the Holy Spirit. Why does the Holy Spirit show up? Because the Holy Spirit has something to do. What did the Holy Spirit have to do? The Holy Spirit's a part of the plan. Why is the Holy Spirit a part of the plan? Because the Father's a part of the plan. Why is the Father a part of the plan? Because the Son's a part of the plan. What just happened? The Son was baptized. He comes up and ah, the plan of redemption is at play here. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't miss this. Here he comes, the Son of God before the foundation of the earth a plan was in place he's baptized 
He's starting his ministry. What's his ministry? It's the plan of redemption. It's why he came. He comes up out of those waters. The skies part. The spirit descends and the voice of the father says, this is my beloved son. My beloved what? My beloved what? (laughs) This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because before the foundation of the world, he agreed to do what he's done. Live in obscure 30 years as the son of God before the father. And here he is getting baptized. Coming up out of those waters, representing what we do now, identifying with his death, his burial, his resurrection. Here comes the spirit descending upon him that's going to empower his ministry. This is my son and whom I will please. This is that holy huddle showing up to initiate the ministry of Jesus. And Luke's like, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Time out. We're going to go through the genealogy. Okay, now you're going to read the genealogy with me, all right? So I'm going to do my part, and then you're going to do your part by, by filling in the name. And I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to show you Genesis chapter 3 here in just a second, but I, I want us to go through the whole thing so you can see the seed line of Jesus here. Because you're going to see, like, if, if this was the same as Matthew's, it would, start at, it would stop at Abraham. Let's see where Luke stops. Ready? Set, gonna start in verse 24. So Jesus was the, well, he was the son of Eli, the son of Joseph, son of Eli, and then 24, the son of Mathat, the son of, 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 there we go, the son of, the son of, the son of, Boaz, the redeemer, the son of, the son of, the son of, all right, say that one again, the son of, 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 we're going to stop there. No, we're going to keep going. The son of, 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 Noah, the son of, the son of, the son of, 
the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. All right, hold, hold on, hold on. We did all that. We did all that. We did all that to show you, to show you what the Son of God, Jesus, this seed prophesied in Genesis 3.15. There will be enmity between you two. You'll strike his heel, but he'll crush your head. Look at Luke 4.1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went to the wilderness to address that serpent. The serpent comes to him just like it did the original seed. Why? Because there's a conflict. Why? Because there's a conflict. Because there's enmity. And we know that Jesus not only doesn't give in to temptation, because of the word of God, I love how he combats that. But it actually says in 1 John that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. It says in Hebrews chapter 2 that he would render him powerless. In Revelation 8, it says that those he foreknew, he predestined. to be conformed into the image of the Son so that he would be the firstborn among what? Many brethren. Jesus would be the firstborn among what? Many brethren. Jesus is that seed prophesied in Genesis chapter 3.15. And I want to end here tonight. Um, I want to end looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 23 because it speaks of the seed that lives inside of you that you've been born again 1st Peter 1 23 forgive me you got me art 1 23 Actually, you can just do 117, 1 Peter 117. We'll just read through it all. It's really good. We won't stop there because our word redeem is in there. 1 Peter 117, check this out. Uh, if you address the Father one and partially judge according to each one's work, conduct yourself in the fear of time and stay on the earth, knowing that you were not, what's that word? Redeemed. Repossessed. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood. As of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Look at this. Here's the covenant of redemption. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That's the holy huddle. Who was foreknown? The son was foreknown by the father and the spirit. That foreknown, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Through who? Through the Son. By what? The blood have been redeemed. <clears throat> who raised him from the dead? That's the Spirit of God. 
<laughs> and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. You know, all those son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, tonight, God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. And if you, listen, because of Christ, he's the firstborn of many brethren and the seed that he was of, the imperishable seed, the mission that he accomplished, you have now been grafted into his bloodline that breaks every curse that you may have received from any other bloodline. He redeems you from those things. There is redemption for all based on what the Son has done for us because he was that prophesied seed. He was that seed through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Joseph, through Moses, through the judges, through the kings, through the prophets, and then comes forth the Son. It was all unto him being that seed. And now when we put our faith in him, we are born again. And that seed that was in him, we partake in that nature. And the more we have understanding of that, the more we can partner with his plan of redemption on the earth. Like tomorrow when you go to work, when you realize that there's an incorruptible seed inside of your heart, and you see people that are caught up in like Joe Biden, like I'm, I like have a voice, speak to that stuff, but dude, do you know what's inside of you? An incorruptible seed. In an earthen vessel. Like 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says that God who said, let there be light, who spoke light into darkness. He put the knowledge of his glory in the face of his son inside of your heart. That's what that seed is. It's him living in you. And we get grafted into this plan. And so you can wake up at your... Go to your workplace tomorrow and cry, Maranatha. What does it mean? He came, he's coming, so come. Come how? Through me. Come how? Through my workplace. Last scripture, Revelation 20, 20. Revelation 20, verse 2. I just got to end here to tell you that that serpent, this is his future. The Lord lays hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil. Remember the serpent? The serpent of old, who is the devil, Satan? He binds him for a thousand years. He locks him up. And eventually, according to Matthew 25, verse 34, he sends him into a lake of fire. That's what hell was created for. So what's my point? My point is, are you redeemed tonight? Are you born again? Are you in the plan of redemption? Uh, do you know that God has a plan for you? That you get grafted into this thing? 
You're like, I'm a mess. I'm broken. I, I'm, I don't know up from down. Some friend dragged me here. Well, you're in the right place. But God, God has a plan for you. God truly does. He has a plan. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, no matter what you think about yourself, no matter what you think about your life, God is the source of your life. He is your creator, and he has a plan for you. He wants to author his story through you. He wants to author his story through you. And so if that's you tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. Would you just stand to your feet? Just be like, man, I want God to start that plan of redemption in my heart tonight. Would you stand to your feet in the room? You're awesome. Come on. Come on. You're good. That's all right. So... Mufa, Mufa, will you pray for these guys? And then if, 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 there's, if there's people in the room that there's, there's a situation you need to be redeemed through, like there's something that is just overshadowing you, overshadowing where you're at, would you stand up? I want to pray for you. I want to pray. I feel like the Lord's going to bring deliverance tonight. So Mufa, will you pray for these guys? And then uh, Anna Claire, will you pray for her specifically? And then all these people stand up. We're going to pray for you. Uh, yeah, you're good. You, you're right there. You're, you're good. Uh, if someone's standing up near you, would you just lay your hands on them? And then our ministry team, if you're here, would you come down front? We should probably do a, a Bob Sorge again and just anoint everyone with oil. That was wild last night, last Sunday night. Bob Sorge came. We had these vats of oil just kind of like, it was pretty messy. Our ministry team's down here. They can pray for you. But if someone's standing up, let's just pray for them right now. Just say, Holy Spirit. Just declare freedom, Lord, over these hearts. Lord, that you're working a plan. It's a plan of redemption, God. Part of the definition of redemption is liberation. It's freedom. And we just declare who the Son has set free is free indeed. That you're freed to think differently. That you would set your mind on things above. Lord, the oppression and yoke and heaviness of whatever this thing is, we pray it will be broken tonight in the name of Jesus that they would leave, Lord, with your yoke that's easy and your burden that's light, that they have not been redeemed, Lord, by perishable items, but imperishable ones, Lord, the blood of your son. We just declare your blood over their minds, your blood over their uh, lives, your blood over these circumstances in Jesus' name. If, you're, if you have your hand on someone, would you just begin to pray for them? Would, would you pray whatever you hear the Lord saying? Thank you, Father. We just put you in the holy huddle of heaven. We put you, we put you in the holy huddle right now. We set you in the center of their affections, their love, their desires, their purposes. We put you in the holy huddle right now. May you feel the security of their covenant that they have made with you. Woo! That's it. In Jesus' name. Hey, our prayer team's up here. If you need prayer any way, shape, or form, come and get it. We love you. Thank you for coming to the upper room.